Well, good morning, White Oak, and uh, welcome. So glad you're here today. And uh, we are in our 14th chapter of the Book of Romans. So we've been in this for a while, obviously, but uh, here we are. We are coming to the end. We've got this week and next week where we will be in Romans, and then we move on to Christmas. And so uh, ready or not, here it comes. Um, But man, we've just loved uh, being in Romans. We've gotten so much great feedback about uh, how many of you have been reading along or or, uh, participating in Bible studies that have been covering Romans. And so uh, my prayer is that you um, have just been enjoying our time as we have kind of been trying to slowly walk through the book of Romans. In chapter 14, where we find ourselves today, Paul is uh, in the section of Romans, chapters 12 and beyond, where he's really getting practical, where, where he's talking about very specific things and what it looks like to live out the gospel in, in their own context. And so today, in chapter 14, he's going to address the division head-on that's been going on in this Roman church. If you've been with us from the beginning, uh, we've talked about this almost every week. If you're new here and uh, you're a guest with us or you're just checking this out for the first time, a reminder that in the Roman church, we have two people groups. We have Jewish Christians. Those are the ones that have converted from Judaism to Christianity. These would have been people who previously would have been followers of God. Uh, who recognize that Jesus was the culmination of the Old Testament and, uh, and they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. But they still have a heritage that is steeped in tradition, steeped in the law, steeped in the, the ways of Moses and everything that comes along with that. Uh, they're familiar with what God is, but this Jesus thing is new to them. Then you've got Gentile Christians that, that make up the same church, and they come from a background of paganism, which means that they would have mo- worshipped multiple gods. Some of them would have worshipped no god at all. And so we've taken these two people, these two people groups, and we've formed one church out of them, and they have very, very distinct ideas about what that looks like and how to do that. And so there's division within, in this church. There's, there's dispute in this church about just what church looks like or what everyday life looks like, what it means to be a follower of Jesus within this community. And so one of the reasons that Paul writes the letter to Romans, to the Romans, is because he wants to create unity. He believes that this church is going to be able to accomplish the goals that all churches want to accomplish, which is reaching lost people, if they can simply get get beyond some of this dispute that they have and move forward. And so Paul, in chapter 14, is going to begin to speak directly into the division and the dispute that's going on amongst them. And so as we find ourselves here, we find ourselves thinking about and talking about Jewish Christians who have a rich heritage of following God. Uh, This God is not a new concept to them, like we said. In this letter, Paul refers to them as weak. Now, if you want to turn in your Bible to chapter 14 of Romans, maybe in your New Testament version, it'll actually have a little subtitle there at the beginning, and it'll say, the strong and the weak, or the weak and the strong. Now, this is not flattering, and it could be taken as an insult to the group who has already known God and been aware of God for a long time. They were given the law. They have been called God's chosen people. 
And to the Gentiles, those who have just recently converted to Christianity, who come from a a pagan background, who come from a, a background of worshiping nothing, he calls them the strong. So, so Paul addresses this portion of the letter to the weak and to the strong. And here's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to get their attention. He's saying to the Jewish Christians that, that you should know better. He's saying to, these, uh, to them, look, you've been God followers. You, you know what's at God's heart. And you're missing it. And he's saying that, these Gentile Christians, these, these new Christians, he says, they better understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish. And you need to pay attention. I want you to think for a second, if Paul was writing this letter to me, this letter was addressed to, to Kevin. See, I was baptized when I was 10 years old. I've been a Christian for 33 years, and I come from a rich heritage of God-following, Jesus-following people. My grandfather was an elder up until the time where he just could not serve anymore. And, uh, and so my family uh, in the town of Bright, where I came from, oh, we have a rich heritage of just being entrenched in everything that goes on there. I've been in Bible college, I've been a part of the Christian church my entire life. And Paul would write this letter and he may address me as being weak. Now, now that would be hard to hear for me. Someone who's dedicated their life to the work of God and who is seemingly trying to do the right thing. I do believe that Paul may address me in this letter as being weak. And let's say that there's a, there's a new guy who just recently come to know Jesus and is a brand new follower of Jesus, Paul may address this person as being strong. See, because they they better understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish and they're more about the things that Jesus wants to be about. Where, Where I, maybe I'm about being comfortable and maybe I'm about building up my own kingdoms and maybe I'm about my own desires and my own ways and maybe I've lost sight of what Jesus is really trying to do. So in this letter that Paul's writing, as he addresses the weak and the strong, there's this part of it where he's trying to get the attention of the Jewish Christians, and he's saying, look, when it comes to these matters, when it comes to the stuff that we're about to talk about, you're being the weaker one. You're being the immature one. You're the one that needs to open your eyes. And so that's going on in here. So in Romans, the dispute is really about a few things. It's about diet, and it's about specific laws that the Jewish Christians want upheld. They want Jesus. They, they like Jesus and what he did and what he did on the cross. They, they've, they've come to accept Jesus, but it's always Jesus and Jesus and the law, Jesus and this heritage, Jesus and these things that we we just cannot let go of. And one of the biggest problems is that they, they have this view of Jesus and. And not only do they believe that for themselves, but they want to hold everybody else to that same standard. So for those who have nothing to do with the law, who have no previous history with the law, who have nothing to do with some of these older traditions that come from the Old Testament, these Jewish Christians want to hold them to that standard. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's what they want to do. Now remember, 
these Jewish Christians that are worshiping here in Rome, there was a period of time where they had to leave. They were exiled. And so there was a time period in the Roman church where the only Christians that were left there were Gentile Christians. They were left on their own. And so these new Christians began to form their church and and how they were going to follow Jesus and, and what that looked like. And the Jewish Christians were exiled and they had to leave. Now a time comes where the Jewish Christians come back. And what do they find? They find a church that looks way different than the church that they would want to be a part of. There was a lot of, whoa, 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 hey, you can't do that. Or, hey, why aren't you doing this still? And if you're the Gentiles, you're like, who are you? And why are you coming here to tell me how to do church? We've been doing this just fine on our own. You can see how, if you can just go back in time with me and try to picture this, you can see how this conflict would arise. Let me just ask you, you know, um, some of the things that we're going to talk about, diet, uh, what day of the week they were going to worship on, or circumcision, some of these things, these things don't matter to you and me. They're not that important to us. But let me just ask you, are there things that are within churches that divide us? Yeah, there are, right? There's things that, that, that we feel pretty strongly about and there's, there's division that happens. Do we live in a divided country? Are there things that we want to see happen in our country and when they don't, it's like, is there a dispute? And one of the hard things for us, one of the really, really hard things for us is to figure out what things matter and what things don't. What Paul's going to try to tell both sides here in this chapter is you're fighting over things that don't matter. That's really the bottom line. You're fighting over things that really don't matter. But they can't see that. And I will just say that there are times within our church, and within our country, where we're fighting about things that don't really matter. And that is really at the heart of what is going on here. Let's think about some everyday things, maybe, that you have some pretty strong opinions on. Who has a strong opinion here on which way a roll of toilet paper should go on a toilet paper roll? All right? We got, we got some people that have strong opinions, up or down, right? There's two camps, and, uh, and we have some strong opinions. Now, what about in your house? Are there strong opinions on how a towel should be folded? We got some strong opinions on how... Uh, I no longer fold towels in our house. This is what I learned. If I just do it wrong long enough, the job gets taken away from me. So I no longer fold towels in our house. Because there is a specific way, evidently, that it should be folded, and I can't figure out what that is. So I no longer fold towels in our house. What about your toothpaste tube? We got any people that uh, hate it when it's squeezed from the middle? And you just wonder, why does that happen, right? Uh, In the last service, we had a visceral reaction when I talked about the way that some people load dishwashers. I don't know if that's... A thing in your house, but um, evidently there's an appropriate way to load the dishwasher in an inappropriate way. And there's lots of elbowing that's going on right now, and so if... Here's the thing. I know, none of this stuff matters, right, in the big scheme of things. But for some of you, there have been fights. 
There's been arguments. There's been pulling out of your hair simply because toothpaste can't get dispensed properly. Toilet paper can't get hung up properly. Towels can't get folded properly. Dishwashers can't get loaded properly. Like, we care about this stuff, even when it doesn't matter. Look, if you're going to couples therapy or you're on the edge of divorce and it's because of one of these things, man, I feel sorry for you because these things, they don't matter. But sometimes we take things that don't matter and we pretend like they do. And that's what's going on in Romans. We know ourselves. We know how, that we have very specific ideas about how certain things should be done. Some are non-important and some are very important. The problem comes when we force those expectations and desires onto someone else. I mean, could you imagine going next door and telling your neighbor how they should do their toilet paper roll or how they should fold their towels? I mean, come on now. Well, what gives you the right to go and force your idea of how that should be done on somebody else when it's something that really doesn't matter? Today's big idea is that I am not divisive. It's this call for us within ourselves that says, you know what, I'm not going to be somebody who creates division over things that simply don't matter. And the biggest thing, the hardest thing for us is to figure out what things matter and what things don't. I wish that I could tell you that we could answer all of that today here in this message. We can't. But it's at the heart of what's going on in Romans chapter 14. Look at Romans chapter 14 verse 1 with me. It says, Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Look, I got it underlined over here. Disputable matters. What's he saying there? He's like, look, Except the one whose faith is weak. He's talking about the weaker brother there, the one that, that just can't get past this. He says, accept him without fighting over things that don't matter. Over things of opinion. Over things that, that aren't really that important. He says, don't fight over the things that don't matter. I want to tell you a story about a family. Husband and wife sitting down at a kitchen table and a the wife is preparing a ham to cook and so she's got this ham and she's going to put it in the oven and she's got the pan where she's going to place it and uh, she pulls out her knife and uh, she cuts about three inches off of both sides of the ham puts it in the pan puts it in the oven her husband's like hey let me just ask you why'd you cut three inches off of both ends of that ham it's a waste of some pretty good meat and she was like well so my mom always did it. And he's like, really? And she's like, yeah, she always cut three inches off of either end. And he's like, well, why did she do that? And she's like, I don't know. So she calls her mom later that night. Mom, I was making ham tonight, and I did it just like you always do it. I cut three inches off of each end, and husband wants to know why, why I do it that way. So why do we do that? And uh, mom is like, I don't know. Uh, it's what my mom always did, and so... That's how I prepared it. And uh, now the bad thing is that, that her mom was dead. But the girl calls her grandfather, who was still alive, and is like, Grandpa, we were making ham tonight, and 
I cut three inches off of each end, just like mom and grandma used to do. Can you tell me why grandma always cut three inches off of each end of her ham? And her grandpa thought for a second. He goes, so it would fit in the pan. Sometimes we get into a trap of doing things over and over again. We don't really know why we do them. We think they matter. We think they're important. We don't even know where the origin comes from. We just keep doing things. Right? And what Paul is trying to get at is this idea that we need to be reminded that some things matter and some things not so much. In Romans chapter 14, verse 5, he continues on. He says this. He says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be careful or should be fully convinced in their own mind. You see what he's saying there? He says, look, you don't even agree on what day to worship on. Some people think one day is really specific. He says other people see each day equal. Uh, There's two teachings that are going on here that Paul sees. We've got the Sabbath versus Sunday. New Testament churches were known to be worshiping on Sundays. We worship on Sundays because of that tradition. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people would have been known to keep the Sabbath holy. That was Saturday. And so there was this conflict within them about what could happen on a Sabbath. Could you work on a Sabbath? The Jews would have felt like, no, you can't. What, what you can do? And so they wanted Jesus, but they wanted their Sabbath. And so the problem is, is that they would, they would follow that, but then they would also want to hold the Gentile Christians to that same standard. You've got to do this too. Now, why? We, we never did that before. And that's not part of following Jesus. And so there was just this dysfunction that was happening. But here's another truth that gets laid out here. And I want you to catch this, check this out. He says that if you feel convicted of something, if you feel that, that keeping the Sabbath is important, He says, you should do that. You shouldn't go against your conscience. There there are certain freedoms and liberties that we have in being Christ followers. But Paul says that if if that thing causes you unease, if you feel convicted about that thing, he says, you shouldn't do it. He says, "You, you need to know what it is and be convinced in your mind of it. He says, don't go against your conscience. But also don't force that on others. Romans chapter 14 verse 10 continues on. He says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. What's he saying? He's like, look, why are you judging each other? Why are you viewing each other with such contempt? He says, we're all going to stand before God. We are all equal. It's one of the things that he's been trying to tell us all through Romans. I'll lay back to Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This idea that we all stand on equal ground. One of the things that Paul's been trying to teach us through all of Romans is that we're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. And that makes us equal. And so what he's trying to get across here is that, why are you judging everybody? Why are you throwing stones at people? Don't you see that we're all equal? But they can't understand that. 
Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling blocks or obstacles in the way of a brother or a sister. You see, he's he's saying here is, we have a freedom to do certain things. And he says, look, if that, if that thing, whatever it is, if your diet rule, if you feel really strongly that you should not eat pork, he says, don't, don't eat it. If that's your conscience. He says, but, but you shouldn't hold your brother or sister accountable to that. They, they don't have to follow that. Like, that's your thing. Don't, don't put that on somebody else. Don't judge them. But then he also says this. Imagine you're the Gentile Christian. And you're free to eat whatever you want. You've got no problem eating all the pork you want. But he says, if you invite over your Jewish Christian brother, don't create a stumbling block for them. Don't put them in a situation where they're going to feel uncomfortable. Don't be divisive. Don't cause somebody else to stumble. Now, that can go a bunch of different ways here for us today. We have all kinds of things. It's not diet that we fight about. But even within the church, we judge other people. I've been judgmental of people. What somebody walks in wearing, the way that somebody worships, the way somebody acts, the way that somebody acts outside of church, we judge people over things that matter and over things that don't. And Paul is telling us not to be divisive, not to look at people with contempt, not to judge our brothers and sisters. Do not pass judgment on one another. He says, but make up your mind that you would show love and compassion to one another. The weak and the strong. It's the parties that he addresses here. And so we're going to look at some characteristics because here's one of the things that Paul does. And I love this about Paul. Paul's got two distinct people groups that he's talking to all through this book of Romans. But he doesn't pick sides. I know in this situation he calls one the weak and one the strong, but he's doing that to make a really strong point, and he's doing that to get their attention. And the truth is that he gives instructions to both groups. Paul doesn't pick favorites. Paul is trying to get the most out of both of these people. And really what he's trying to do more than anything else is for there not to be two different people, but for there to be one church. He's writing this letter to create unity. And so there's some characteristics that I want you to see from the weak and the strong. The weak are weak in faith. Literally, they are weak in their faith. I suspect that both elements are true, that they are weak and they're weak in their faith. That is, that they are weak because they have not yet fully realized the freedom and the liberty that comes from being in Jesus. They don't truly understand what it means to be free. John eight thirty two says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall shed... The truth shall set you free. They haven't embraced this freedom that they have. They don't understand what it means. They are weak in their faith. They are correspondingly weak in their personal faith. They have a limited understanding of the grace that's been given to them. 
Grace is a foreign concept to the weak. It's, it's pretty new for them to really understand, but it's a, it's a part of what God's been trying to do throughout history. And so they're just trying to grasp what it means. And it's why Paul spent the first 11 chapters of Romans really laying out this argument for what grace looks like. The weak are prone to condemn the actions of the strong. As they've not yet quite understand what Christian liberty looks like, they do not accept it in others. The weak can immediately be recognized by their frown of contempt on their face and the oh no look in their eyes. They see somebody walk in, not dressed the right way or doing something that they don't approve of, and they have that glare, that oh no on their face. The weak are prone to condemn the actions of the strong. The strong are those who are more fully aware of the nature of grace and the teachings of the word of God. They have a greater grasp of faith. And so their faith is stronger. But The strong are susceptible to the sin of smugness and arrogance. When we take our freedom and we push that in people's faces, we're just as bad as the ones who say you have no freedom at all. That's why Paul says, don't be a stumbling block. Do not create division where you don't need to. And so he's giving instructions to both groups. Don't take your preferences... And make those laws for everybody else. Don't take your freedoms and push them into the face of those who are struggling to understand what this freedom looks like. He's got instructions for both people. And he wants both of them to come to a place of unity. To each of these groups, the strong and the weak, Paul has words of warning and instruction. The instruction to stop passing judgment on the convictions of the other and to welcome them into warm fellowship and acceptance. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Let's look at it again. It says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He says, Look, we've got to quit fighting over the things that don't matter and recognize and realize that there is more that unites us than divides us. Can I make a plea in myself that I am not divisive? That I'm not going to be somebody who creates division? It's what Paul wants. If you're going to be helping out with our communion today, I ask that you go ahead and make your way to the back. Francis Chan's been in the news recently for his uh, decision that he's going to go and serve in Asia as a missionary. And I just want to share a quote that he made a while back. Since the church has put so much effort into inventing a new form of following Christ that doesn't require imitating him. We teach that even though Jesus allowed his rights to be trampled, we should fight for ours. We teach that even though Jesus lived simply, that we have the right to live luxuriously. Some prefer the term comfortably. Even as we teach that Jesus was rejected by the world, we pursue popularity. 
Ever wonder how many followers Jesus would have on Twitter or how many likes his Facebook posts would receive? It's a quote by Francis Chan. And it's a reminder that when we strive to be like Jesus, we strive to not be divisive, but be somebody who unites people. So what's our goal? What's our mission? Here's the thing. Paul has been pushing for unity all along. It's what we desperately want today as well. We don't always agree on everything, but when we can focus on the things that really matter, when we can be reminded of what we have in common, there's unity. Look, I'm a sinner, and I'm saved by grace, like all of us are. We share that in common, and that makes us a family. I have a goal of seeing others come to know Jesus. We have that in common, and that puts us on the same team. There's lots of little things that we may disagree on, but at the end of the day, the things that unite us are far greater than the things that divide us. And if we can unite and be one under those things, we can live in a church and we can live in a world that's not divided. Paul understands something. He has a greater thing in mind. The church is not united and he wants to create unity in it because he knows this. A divided church will never reach a lost world. Right? All they see is our division. All they see is our bickering. All they see is our fighting. But a united church, a church that exists and stands on Jesus, that church can reach people. Because when people see it, they don't see individuals, they see a body. A body that belongs to Christ. And so I'm not divisive over things that don't matter. We are united because we are all saved by grace. Let me tell you, if you've not yet experienced Jesus you're not a follower of Jesus yet. Man, this book of Romans is just a plea for people to come and know the grace and freedom that Jesus offers. Sometimes we don't do a good job of explaining what that looks like or living out what that means, but in Romans we're called to share the grace of God with others. And it's a beautiful thing and it's a gift and if you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. You can mark that on your connection card. You can come up and you can talk to me. But I would love to be able to share with you what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Paul desperately wants unity in Romans. And unity is a thing that we are in desperate need of. That we would set aside the things that don't matter and focus on those things that really do. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today and for the opportunity that we have just to, to worship you, God. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his uniting power, God. And I just pray that we would not be divided over those little things that, uh, that trip us up but we would be united under the name of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.